This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Hello everyone, thank you very much for coming out on a very windy day to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. And this event is part of the Strip series, which is where we celebrate some of the best in comics and graphic novels at the festival. Uh, my name is Joe Gordon, I'm a writer and a reviewer and I look after the Forbidden Planet blog, so that means pretty much every day is comics day for me. Today I'm delighted to be introducing Evie Wilde and Joe Sumner. Uh, Joe is ridiculously talented, as I found out when I was looking through and spying on his website and his LinkedIn. He's not happy enough to be an illustrator. He's a model maker. He's a sculptor. He's now added comics artists to his list of achievements as well, which is kind of disgusting for people like me who can't even draw stick figures. <laughs> Evie, I'm sure quite a few people at the book festival are going to be familiar with already from her prose work, such as this. Evie's books, uh, After the Fire, A Still Small Voice and All the Birds Singing have garnered a huge amount of praise in recent years and All the Birds Singing won a major Australian award, the Miles Franklin Award. She's also made it onto a list which I know is dear to the heart of most people that come to the book festival, the Granta Young Writers list. And being on that list puts you in some pretty good company. That's putting you in with people like A.L. Kennedy, Sadie Smith, Salman Rushdie and Ian Banks, which is pretty good company, I think, to be keeping for a writer. Now, Joe and Evie have been collaborating over quite a period of time on Everything is Teeth, which starts off as a kind of what seems like a memoir and then develops into something which is much more satisfying and very emotional, I thought, very intriguing. I'm going to ask them to introduce it to you for a little bit, introduce the idea behind the book a little bit. Then Evie's going to do a little reading, and after that we'll do a Q&A and then open it up to you guys. And there'll be a signing afterwards in the, the book tent afterwards. But for now, I'm going to turn over to Joe and Evie and let them introduce the book to you a little bit. Um, so it's Everything is Teeth is uh, a memoir of me growing up between New South Wales and in Australia and Peckham in London. Um, I had a bit of a fixation with sharks, a bit of a phobia and I thought that I was going to get got by a shark mainly, I have to say, when I was in Peckham. Not so much, <laughs> not so much when I was um, in Australia, but I, I got fixated on this idea that um, I was asleep and my life in Peckham was a dream. And in real life, I was on a raft in the sea. And so, you know, you had to, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have your feet on the floor. Um, <laughs> and, rug, and sharks are, no. rug sharks are a menace. They are the worst. And, um, and so me and Joe worked on this for six or seven years. Um, and over that time, um, it sort of changed a lot from a bit of writing that I did, which was basically sort of scenes from Australia, my memories from Australia, um, which is a place that I write from often. Um, and it sort of morphed into something that was much more to do with the events that happened during the time we were writing it, I suppose. Yeah, and so yeah, we came together on this, we, we tried to do a couple of projects together before, but um, not particularly well. Um, and so, yeah, he, oh, well, this, the story for this already exists, well, a version of the story of this already existed. Um, and e Evie suggested it would make a good graphic novel after I'd been sort of pestering to s for something to illustrate. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just sort of started it and it kind of took far too long, but <laughs> um, it's kind of, it gr obviously as events in Evie's life 
changed as, as the book went on, the, the story changed and... That's what we were talking just, just before we came in here, it's, some of you might not be aware of it when you, you look at the book, but this actually took place over a period of years actually, the, the book coming together. Yeah, didn't it? I mean we, the first conversation was probably 2008 I think. Um, <laughs> and uh, I mean it took quite a while because I was doing, I had a job and I was, I was doing this in my evenings and weekends and um, also I didn't know what I was doing. So I was sort of, <laughs> I was learning the form as I went. Um, this is the first full-on stab at comics yeah, for both of you, isn't it? Yeah, so and it started, the, it I mean, I did the first probably 20, 25 pages where I did an entirely different style, which mm. all got ditched. Because um, when we got to the page that that image is on, it became clear that I had to go back and redo quite a lot of stuff. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's why it took so long, I think. What Evie's going to do is a quick reading, and then after that we'll get into some Q&A, and then we'll get some questions from you guys as well. So start thinking what you want to ask. So it's a little bit odd reading from a graphic novel. Um, <laughs> it's going to be very short. Um, but I just wanted to read, like, the... It's, this is one of the first um, pages that Joe did. It's a bit bloody. Um, and and it's, rem it's one of the only pages that has remained as it did in the start, and it's the same writing. Um, so it started off with a different title. It was called Rodney Fox, I Love You. Um, <laughs> and Rodney Fox is a very important shark attack survivor in Australia. He's a, a bit of a hero out there. Um, he's now, um, he now runs, he's in his 70s, and he runs boat tours to teach children about how important sharks are. Um, he's like my hero and um, yeah here's an explanation of that sorry you can't see the pictures <laughs> buy the book <laughs> I find a book and I fall in love Rodney Fox I fall for you at six years old I see right inside your viscera and you tell me about surviving I read about how your abdomen was opened and all your ribs broken your diaphragm punctured lung ripped open Shoulder blade pierced, spleen uncovered, the main artery from your heart exposed, the tendons in your hand all cut, and how the shark left behind a tooth still stuck in your wrist. I see the before photograph, impossible red sausages stuffed into an empty carcass, the white skin tender, swollen and peeling away, and I see the after photograph, the horsehair stitches that make a perfect semicircle from shoulder to ribs a cartoon apple bite. And your face, salty eyes, strong bone in your nose, an expression that said the whole thing was just fine. Stuck in the mouth, wrestling your thumbs into its eyes till it lets go, and you feel yourself loose in your skin suit. The shark is gone and people are nudging your guts back inside, and when you wake again, it hasn't changed your face, it is all fine. I solemnly understand you to be the greatest living man. <laughs> I, have to <laughs> I have to ask you, you still got a little bit of a crush for oh Mr. Salty Eyes? Well, his son's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> there is a nice bit there because you do mention that he's now involved with, you know, trying to explain to people, please don't kill sharks, mm. A, they're very rare now, and mm. B, they have an important role in the, the, the the ecology of the planet and it's kind of nice to contrast that with the bit where you're taking there's a bit where you're taken to a museum of sharks and it's very I'm, I'm sure it's changed since those days but it's very oh, no. old Australian it's the 
these are just horrible things, let's kill them and mount them and nobody sees anything wrong with the mass slaughter of the Museum of, the of Shocks is a very generous way to put Vic Hislop's. <laughs> um, Vic Hislop is kind of like, if Rodney Fox is God, Vic Hislop is the devil. <laughs> he's, except he's totally useless. He's kind of, um, he's so insane. Yeah. He's evangelist um, and he believes that um, sharks are God's mistake and he believes that the reason that whales beach themselves yeah. is because they are afraid of the sharks and they'd rather be dead than be in the scary sea. I, I did um, like the way you introduced him as, he's fears Vic, he's a man with a moustache. <laughs> and then you see this very 70s macho man standing <laughs> with you know, dead sharks looking very pleased with himself. He is the same, he's, he's exactly the same now, I have to yeah. say. There's a lot of videos of him on YouTube, you can find it. He's, he has got a squeaky voice yeah. and he does just talk crap. <laughs> I've, I've got to ask you, all that time in Australia, Australia famously, particularly to cowardly people like me living in a country here where the most dangerous animal is, you know, when your, your dog decides to rip up the newspaper. Australia to us is full of scary monsters. There's giant spiders, there's snakes, there's crocodiles, there's kangaroos with boxing gloves. Sharks, <laughs> though, you went for sharks. What was it? I mean, you see scenes where you see you arriving there on holiday and looking, oh, there's the giant spider on the window. Yeah, yeah. that's that's perfectly <laughs> normal, but the shark, ah, wait a minute. I think, Why the shark? I think there's something to do with scale and kids that they misunderstand. Like I, so I decided that every shark was around the size of a double-decker bus. <laughs> Um, and I don't know why, like thinking back, why is that more frightening than, you know, one that's the length of your arm if they've got the teeth? Yeah. But um, I think that was the real thing. They're, they're like the last proper monsters that we can kind of go, we don't understand, we can't conquer them. We're in, if, if you meet one of them, you're, in, you're on their turf. Yeah, you're in their domain. And quite rightly, you know, they can do what they want. Yeah. There is a nice bit further in when you... I think it's when you're getting a bit older and you start to understand that something like shark, it is terrifying, but we're projecting human emotions onto it and you've got to, the shark's not being cruel, that's us mm. thinking, oh, horrible shark biting people, and then mm. you realise, no, this is, this is natural, this is what the shark's designed to do. Yeah, you know, we're, we're projecting this onto it and you're realising it's not, it doesn't mean they're not scary, but not in scary in the same way, perhaps, yeah. as they were to you when you were younger. I mean, it's just so, it, I've, I've got a young baby and he puts everything in his mouth to find out what it is. That's exactly what they do. Yes. <laughs> Can I ask you a bit, bearing in mind this is your first time you were really having a stab at comics, how did you go about doing the collaboration? I mean, did you, did you put a lot of detail into the script for what Joe should draw or did you give Joe a free hand and he came up with the stuff mostly himself or um, well, both? As I say, the story, the, the t it was written as a short story to begin with, so it wasn't written to be a graphic novel. So. It was, there was an amount of adapting it. Um, so, I mean, I just went through the text and just decided which chunk of text was a page and kind of just started, just started drawing it just to see what the hell it was going to look like because I didn't know to begin with. Um, and, it, yeah, it just sort of evolved. Evie didn't, I didn't really have, Evie didn't give me sort of direction in terms of mm. how she wanted pages to look or people to look. I sort of, it was all down, she just kind of left, left me to it really. Um, um, should I press a button and see? Yeah, press yes, the button. I, I can't remember what. Okay, that's that one. Um, that's the family. Yeah. So yeah, what Evie did do is gave me a lot of photographs of her family. Um, it was they were plastered around my studio in a slightly creepy, <laughs> murdery way. Um, um, but yeah, so I mean I've never been to Australia, so all I had were these photos. Um, 
and they were all the kind of washed out sort of 80s photo kind of thing going on which I tried to sort of use I think um, and so we've got some I can't remember what order these are in there you go that's the farm um, that's my nan's house <laughs> yeah so yeah I had a lot a lot of visual reference to go on but if, if, ever, if I needed more than that then I'd go back to Evie yeah. and sort of you know there were like the Christmas the scene at the Christmas at the, like when they're having the Christmas dinner I needed a lot more detail on that because I know other people were there but there was no description of who else was there so Evie had to dig out more photographs and I kind of just built it up that way really yeah. I think we're really lucky in that like so me and Joe met at university and we know each other quite well I think and um and Joe knows my family so there's a lot of trust like I I I know his work and I I kind of I feel like um a graphic novel is a totally different thing from the other written work I do and I I like the idea of just giving over autonomy to Joe that like it becomes something other um I think that's one of the one of the really exciting things about collaboration is just letting go of it I've had that experience myself. Sometimes it's interesting as a writer to give some indication to the artist, and other times it's really interesting if you're working with an artist, particularly for someone like me who can't draw, <laughs> to get them back when they've just done something themselves, they've looked at your words, and something's come into their head that you would never have thought of mm. because mm. they think in a different way from you yeah, because yeah. artists do generally. And it, it, it can be quite satisfying. They mm. suddenly bring back something going, why didn't I think in it? Why didn't I put that into the story? <laughs> it really can add to something, but that's, that's the nature of collaboration. You're hoping yeah. you're going to put two things together and it's not going to be one and one making two, it's going to make five, it's going to make something bigger. Mm. I think that was a nice thing. That would, I'd, so I'd do a sort of, I don't know, I might do six pages and then go back and show Evie. Mm. She didn't know what they were going to look like. and then, But then she would ultimately change the, change the writing to sort of fit what I'd written because obviously there's a lot of description in the original story which didn't need to be there. Um, with the images, so it just it, the, the pictures and the words fed each other as we went along. Yeah. How did you find? It? I mean, coming from prose background, and presumably, is, is this took part? You know, took several years. Presumably, you were actually working on the mm. prose novels at the same time. How did you find the difference in writing? It was it was really sort of refreshing. Yeah. Um, it's I mean the the process I go through with my novels is you start with something large and then you whittle it down yeah. and so this was like the ultimate of that it's like yeah. um, well, I guess the, the original story was about 4,000 words mm. and, um, and then it was kind of like taking out and changing as well you know yeah. I don't think we really we didn't have an ending there was no ending there was no scene with Jaws in yeah. the original bit um, yeah. yeah so it did yeah it's just it, it kind of grew as we went along. It grew, and the um, the the sort of I don't think it's a spoiler. It's not kind of like an exciting, um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, towards the the second half of the time that we were working on this, my father mm. got very sick, and um, and died eventually, and and that became the natural end for the book. It sort of, and it made the rest of the book make a funny sense. You know, even though we'd started without mm. that death hanging over it it sort of suddenly and that's why we had the title changes it was it started life as a love letter to Rodney Fox that yeah. I'd written and then it turned into something that turned out to be all about my father really um, yeah. I, th I think to be honest I mean I was saying at the start that I found it starts off as a memoir about childhood fears and fascinations but later on it became the, the sharks become 
almost symbolic in some way. They're, they're, they're a literal monster, but they're also, it's almost like in a fairy tale where we tell kids a fairy tale because the dark thing in the woods is there so that kids start to learn that you have to watch out, there's dangerous things, you can lose people you love. In this case, instead of having the you know imaginary monsters, you actually had real monsters mm. taking the place. Mm. And you start to see things. There's a lovely scene where Joe has little Evie walking along and the shark's just floating in the air down a British <laughs> street with her. Just And he, he doesn't actually look particularly scary as well. No. At that, but he looks as if he's almost walking you to school, I thought. It's, yeah. It's been I'd quite nice. But it's, it is almost like a fairy tale, yeah. but with real monsters. Yeah, I sort of... I mean, for me, the... Um, the shark books and there are a lot of you know anyone with an interest in sharks as a yeah. kid is, has got a library full of these shark books with really impressive <coughs> photographs and um and I would read those before bed they were my nighttime reading yeah. um alongside you know Tintin <laughs> it's an interesting mix gonna ask on the art front there's a really nice <laughs> contrast Joe's <laughs> <laughs> drawn the, you've drawn you've drawn all of the family in this very cartoony style but the yeah. sharks in very very realistic style. Yeah, it didn't so seem appropriate to do them in a cartoony way. I, that I was always, uh, even though even before I'd figured out how I was drawing the people in this, I, I, that the, the sharks always had to be real because otherwise the kind of the kind of sharkiness is sort of <laughs> diminished. You don't want them. You don't want them looking cute or like friendly. They're, they're not or talked about in that way. Monstrous. I think. Yeah, you don't want. Yeah, I didn't want to ramp it up. <laughs> It's there's a sort of tattoo shark that does the rounds, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. Sort of like it's just massive teeth and yeah. kind of scary eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, these photos. So I asked Evie to come up <laughs> to dig out the photos for the slideshow that I'd used, and she dug out a whole load that I'd never seen before, which <laughs> would have been quite useful. Yeah. But, weirdly but it turns thing, out, yeah. I'd never seen this photo, but it turns out it was just kind of. Um, what I'd drawn, <laughs> like, um, and there's a few. Yeah, most of these photos I'd never seen before. Um, Would have been very one. handy if you had them. <laughs> that one I'd seen before. <laughs> is, this, is this the dress? Is this the infamous dress you described in the book as the horrible dress? Made, yeah. That you're forced to wear it because Granny made it. Yeah. I don't know why she'd do that. <laughs> She's, I'm quite sure at the time she's probably thinking, look how pretty my <laughs> granddaughter is. I hate this, I hate this. There this is, is your father. That's my dad. Yeah. Yeah. There's Tom. It's my brother. This is like a weird... <laughs> this is like what we have at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> how, was it, how did you feel actually when you looked and went, saw the cartoon versions of yourself? I was like... Um, that's my mother. Um... It's really, it's really strange. I think the, I think the thing that stopped it from being so strange, I couldn't really think about it properly, yeah. was that Joe's very cleverly kept expression to a minimum, especially in the character that's me. Yeah. Um, it sort of keeps me as a camera rather than a, um, than someone who's involved in in the life in a way. It's it's yeah. more like, it's just what I'm seeing. Um, and even though I'm I'm in shot, it's kind of it wasn't that difficult to kind of get past that. Um. There's some other bits as well where you change the art a few times for effect, and there's a really nice scene where you have perhaps inevitably in a, a book about sharks, the family's watching Jaws, which I'm presuming most of us here have seen more than once, <laughs> and. You stick with the cartoony style for the the family, but you you do quite a realistic one, so you can the, yeah. the actors are quite recognisable. But then at one point while they're watching, 
you actually see the, uh, I'm sure everyone's seen it, it's one of the most famous dolly shots, as they call them, in, in cinema history, where Chief Brody's sitting on the beach, the shark attacks, and the camera zooms in on him very rapidly. It's often been copied. And you're doing that one, and it's the actor's face, but then you start to blend it with some elements from the way you draw Evie's dad. Yeah, well, I mean, that was in the way Evie had written it. She, it, it was kind of, she alluded to it sort of, it seeming more real than than kind of reality, and and she was seeing her dad as Chief Brody, and she was the the little boy crying in the sand, and her brother was was Brody's son, and it just yeah, I I had to find a way of solving that problem. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. Then, with pictures. Um, so yeah, that was. I mean, I to I I always think that it needs to be a different style when it's a different when it needs to feel different. I don't know, that's like the sharks needed to be real and that film needed to be real. It needed to feel more real than her reality. That's, yeah. uh, that's kind of why I pushed it that way. Mm. Also, I get bored drawing in one way all the time, so I just <laughs> like to mix it up. <laughs> I've got to say, I had a, when we were looking earlier on, the part you were reading from with the Rodney Fox one, I had a total nostalgia one. I suspect other people here have seen the same mm. book. I looked at that page when I'm reading the book and realised that I'd read the exact same book yeah. when I was about nine or ten. And yeah, he's got famous guts. Yeah, and that, yeah that, the, the, the picture of the man standing side on with enormous shark wound. There is a picture of that it's somewhere. Well, if you go through some of the family. It's, it's probably been reproduced <laughs> in many places. That's whole, yeah, everyone else. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Oh, God. See, yeah, I'd not seen that picture before. Yeah. <laughs> it really enlarges the mosquito bite on my arse. Oh, good. <laughs> um, this is, this is the glamorous life of an international writer, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, they there we go. are. That's the bunny. I suspect other people seen come across this before. It's a very famous picture. Yeah, lovely Rodney. He's now got, um, in his 70s, he's, he, it, he literally has like a flap and he shows it, you know. He's very proud. Wow. He shows it and it's like a kind of weird, you know, where, the, where things have... Well, he's Sad. put on some weight. Yeah, he has. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's not quite the same figure of a man. I've got to say, I found right from the opening pages, there's a really nice, strong sense of place mm -hmm. generated in this between both the words and the art. Um, even for someone like me who's never been to Australia, in the first few pages between the... It's very nice, actually, the way the words and the text and the art all come together. I, I can almost hear that sort of thing where you hear the distinctive birds here and I only know that from films never having been to Australia mm -hmm. but the minute you hear that on a soundtrack in a film you know you're in Australia mm -hmm. and you can almost feel the heat yeah. and the scenes just look very Australian outback with the you know the creaking windmill and everything mm -hmm. else and the, the little mangrove lagoon it's very I very powerful sense of testament self. to Joe's like amazing ability that he has he's managed to do that without colour um, yeah. we should also point out at this point that Joe's colourblind <laughs> but um, but I think the fact that he's managed to get the heat and the you know you know it's Australia immediately without using you know bright yellows and reds yeah. and stuff is is really fantastic. It is something. I mean, it's something I find in all the birds singing as well. It's very you're very good at doing that sense of place. It, it comes across very. I think strongly. it's. Um, I mean, I spent most of the time that I've spent in Australia when I was um, very young and. And it was my sort of most favourite place. When I was in England, I would just be thinking about getting back there. And and you have this odd thing again, like with um, 
reimagining sharks the size of a bus, you would, I'd get on the aeroplane and when I was very little I'd fall asleep and you'd end up in Australia. So for me, you went straight up. It wasn't like, I was never yeah. awake for the downward bit. So I just had this very odd idea of where everything was and, and it was like this magical place to me. The other thing I kind of felt when I was reading it is it's all, when it's setting the place, it's almost all sensation, which I found interesting mm. because you're what, six mm. or, th or thereabouts in these ones? And normally, from what most you know psychologists say, but the way we, we, our memories work is when we're really young, it's all impressions and sensory. Mm. It's only when we get older we arrange our memories mm. into a kind of narrative structure because, you know, but then we've got language and, and we can do that. So in the early ones, it's all about sensation. Mm. And that's, that's exactly what you're doing here. Was yeah. that deliberate or was that just the way it I think that's felt to you? That is the way that I think first about Australia is smell and noise, yeah. I think. Um, and when I was a kid, I'd, I'd have reoccurring dreams that I was there and I was walking on the veranda and, and I could feel the warm wood under my feet and I could hear the butcher birds and the magpies um, and you could smell the banana trees and the sugar cane and stuff. And it, it kind of... You know, like still now, if I'm if I'm walking in Dulwich Park in London and I they've got a gum tree and I'll yeah. pick a gum leaf and smell that and and it's instant, you know, transported back to being six years old yeah. like that. Do you think? I mean, not just here, but in in your other writing as well. Do you think maybe being able to hold on to that child level view of it and the imaginary, you know, you, your world's half real and half imaginary as a child. Yeah. Do you think holding on to that? I is think so. And it, there's definitely there's a huge amount of nostalgia there. You know. Um, the the country the countrified version of yeah. Australia, the beauty and everything is is kind of not all of it, you know. And I I understood things in a very um, contrasty way. It was like Australia is good, London is bad. <laughs> leave it at that. <laughs> I can understand that. For I've a understood bit. a bit more about <laughs> life since then. <laughs> um, did I read somewhere that you used to do art yourself? Yeah, um, I actually did the um, the author picture of Joe on the back, oh. which is the thing that I've sweated over most <laughs> in about twenty years. Um, but no, I basically uh, me and Joe met at art school, mm -hmm. and um, he embraced illustration and painting and stuff. And I went, oh, I'm actually quite bad, and stopped um, and took up uh, photography and writing instead because it was just like, I think that the, the year that we started, they just stopped doing life drawing yeah. Um, yeah. because all of the teachers who were teaching it were sick of it and it was so disappointing. <laughs> it was like the one most sort of important thing um, and, and the thing that I enjoyed most, I think. And so I really stopped drawing after, after art school, well, right. during art school. Did it give you was it a useful skill to have though when you were doing this though? Did it maybe help you I when you were working I, with Joe? I Jill? think quite visually. Um, yeah. I, th I mean, I think about my novels quite visually, and I come from my parents. My dad was an art dealer. My mum's an art right. um, restorer. So I've grown up with a sense of composition, I suppose. Um, but in in the same way that I, it, it felt quite natural. I think yeah. that. Um, I think especially for memoir, um, the kind of comic style is, is really useful. I think you can you can <coughs> say stuff with pictures you can't say with words. Yeah. It's quite it's, it's an area that's grown quite a lot in the last few years actually is mm. doing autobiography in, in comics. It's it's become quite common to, to do it that way. I mean what is it why is it I, I've got to say, why is it um, that you wanted to do this as a comic rather than 
Um, as a process, is it largely because you were looking for a project to work with Joe or just I mean, was part, that felt partly right? that, but partly because I love I love graphic memoir. I, I think I'd read um, the David Small um, stitches, yeah. um, which I I just think is incredible, and um, and it it kind of gave me this weird impotency. Like I just sort of I really wanted to create a picture of what I had in my head yeah. um, rather than words. And um, having tried to take up drawing again like, a few years ago. You lose it so quickly if you stop, yeah. um, and your your eye still knows what you want to draw, but you just can't make your hand do it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it just seemed like a natural thing to give it to someone who was good yeah. at it. On that note as well, I mean, how did you find? Because this was, it's, it's you're an illustrator, but being an illustrator and being able to do comics are different things. I don't think a lot of people always understand that. They just think if you can draw art, you can draw a comic, and they don't understand that there's an awful lot more skills you have to learn to, you're not just drawing pictures, you're telling a story, you're setting scenes and yeah. pace. How, how did you find it? Was it a learning curve? Yeah, massively. I'd, I mean, I'd, I'd pre- I mean I'd, I'd read graphic novels before doing this, but I, wasn't, I wouldn't have said I was like an aficionado of them at all. I would, I, I had, like when I started this, I just had to read a lot of graphic novels just to kind of learn what was possible. It turns out anything, there's no rules I also went on the Arvon Foundation graphic novel writing course, yeah. which is a massive help. But just, I, there came a point where I had to stop reading graphic novels because they were, everything was just affecting what I was doing, and just find a way of doing this and just find a process that worked. Um, and so, yeah, it was a massive learning curve. But um, but you'd always done like little comics, and you like crayon. Well, I'd done little things I've done a couple of little illustrated stories of my own which were not very good but I was just kind of getting things out of my system I I mean I I don't make my living as an illustrator generally well (laughs) maybe now but um, so yeah this was a kind of project to generate work as much as anything else and then no one can see it until now (laughs) Um, yeah Um, so yeah I've, I've had to develop this this way of working just for this um, but now I'm having to unlearn it to do future stuff <laughs> <laughs> were there any you mentioned stitches was there any anybody that either of you found in comics that were particularly inspiring or useful stitches was a big one um, oh, what I was reading at the time David that? B was a yeah yeah um, that's epile- epileptic yeah. Um, what's that wonderful one um, with the man um, it's got a funny name um, it's cu- it's got those very muted colours. Oh, Asterius Pollock. Aster- yeah, yeah, that was a that, yeah, that was a big deal yeah. one. I think. And then obviously Chris Ware, like, yeah, just makes you go. You can go anywhere and do anything. And yeah, exactly. But it's just you can't just go copying their yeah. ideas. I think occasionally Charles Burns, anything by Charles Burns as well. Yeah. But um, I do, I do I would occasionally say, how the hell am I going to draw this like in these colours? Yeah. And I'd just go and look at Charles Burns and say, oh, OK, I'm going to steal that <laughs> and just sort of make it my <laughs> Having done that now, though, does it leave you in a position where you think, oh, might do it again? Or are you thinking, no, we've done that, that's it? We <coughs> talked about it. Yeah, we got drunk um, on Thursday, yeah. in fact. This, and this will show up, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, but writers occasionally drink. <laughs> and we, we've, yeah, we've sort of, I'm quite excited about the new idea. So such as it is yeah <laughs> but it will blossom in something it's yeah. sort of like basically we've, we're gonna um, 
try and write something very frightening. Yeah, <laughs> I want to do something scary. Me. I don't think scary's been done enough no. in graphic novels. Not, I mean, like you know, a good a good horror novel or a good horror film can properly give you, the give you nightmares. Yeah. I, I, I've not seen that in graphic novels. Yeah, I want to find out how to do that. It's, it's actually, it's one of those strange ones where comics are normally quite a powerful medium. But I find quite often as well, I like a good horror story. And I found it very difficult to find really good ones in comics as opposed to prose. I found some really good ones that mm. you want that yeah. one, as you say, with nightmares. You want the one that if, you know, the cat knocks over something in the other room in the middle of the night, you, you sit bolt upright going, oh my God, and you, for a minute <laughs> yeah. you're freaked out because you're in the story and then you yeah. calm down and yeah. realise it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I feel like but there's got to be a way of, the good ones. of doing it. I've got to, yeah. I've, using the timing of the pages to, I don't know, I've got to look into it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not an easy area to do, but I'm... <laughs> I'm quite sure you'll do something with it. Right, I suppose we should maybe start thinking about letting everybody here have a chance to ask some questions. Have you any of you got this, anything you would like to ask Evie and Joe? If you do, if you raise your hand and if you could wait for the person to bring you the microphone. Yes, we've got somebody down towards the front there. It's not really a question, I just want to know if there are any more pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Is that? Well, that's the that's museum. museum. <laughs> uh, that's basically, well, You'll see from the next one if it's going to go. There you go. This, this is the man with the moustache we were talking yeah. about yeah. earlier. <laughs> um, yeah. He pretty much looks like exactly the sort of character he is, I think. Yeah. I think you captured the essence of yeah. him very well. He is such a knobhead. <laughs> yeah, you just look at him and just think, this guy's an idiot. Yeah. What else have we got? Oh, yeah, that one was one of the, like, Yeah. I'd never seen that photo. It's my mum kicking a shark. <laughs> so, yeah. I just to see that when I've got to actually, you actually touch, what, what, is, what does the shark feel like? Um, sandpaper. It does feel yeah, like sandpaper. Yeah. I've, I've heard it described that way and I don't know if people yeah, are just yeah. being colourful. They've got little um, denticle, tiny little, like their skin kind of all, like it, the same with the cat, you know, if yeah. you, you stroke a cat the wrong way. But they're, um, they've got little armoury kind of denticles that go one way. Oh, is that one? That's brilliant. The shark, this is a shark following you home from the museum. <laughs> As sharks do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know how many I did of these. Oh, there's the <laughs> yeah. okay. All the prints are available to buy on Joe's <laughs> website. Thanks. It's one of the things when you see, that, I mean, there's several scenes like this. Is the one we talked about earlier with the shark following you down the street back home in London. This one here still in the street, but the shark's out in the, you know, in the cane fields instead. And it was one of the things I thought when I was reading All the Birds. Mm -hmm. I got a similar feeling from this as there's a, a kind of feeling of vague threat, something mm. in the dark. Well, my, um, my grandfather, who was pictured up there earlier, um, he was a cane farmer. And, you know, if you're walking through sugarcane on your own, yeah. there are things in the cane. There are snakes, there are kangaroos, there's all sorts of things. And, um, and so you hear this rustling and sometimes you hear this rustling getting very close to you and like walking alongside you or yeah. slithering alongside you and he um, liked to tell a story and he would say that there was uh, a yowie which is an aboriginal ghost that right. lived in the sugar cane and you know was trying to get you she didn't have any legs and <laughs> so she was pulling herself through the cane like that's that. quite creepy there yeah. wasn't enough to be terrified about <laughs> <laughs> but they were like my my australian family really believe in ghosts like they're they're well into it my mum believes in ghosts and, and then she was like and when i had kids i just decided i'd try not to believe in them anymore because i had other things to think about um but yeah i think <laughs> there's always been for me a, a sort of sense of menace 
um, that I really enjoyed yeah. as a kid. You know, I, my imaginary games as a seven-year-old were like, there's a thing, what are you going to do? Um, and, <laughs> and the thing was in the cane. <laughs> Any more questions? Oh, we've got quite a few people here. Do you want to pick any in particular? You. Oh, could you wait for the microphone, please? Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Joe, you talked about process and actually finding what medium to work in. Yeah. What, I mean, the, the families, is that, that's obviously in ink, pen and ink, but what's yeah. the shark? What do you, how do you actually The sharks are all just basically pencil drawings, and then I, I add colour digitally because I'm a bit colourblind. So I have to have the control over it. I'd, well, basically, I'd be working from photographs, and then I would just kind of sample the colour from the photograph <laughs> so that it was right, otherwise I wouldn't know. Um, and then I'd splicing them together was a kind of... Yeah, it was a, it was a bit of Photoshop in, involved in that, but mostly it's, it's, yeah, pen and ink and pencil, and then the bits of Rodney Fox are, are all... Uh, it was um, just like Indian ink watered down, but... Um, that was how I started doing the whole book, was, was in a very painterly way. It just didn't look good and took too long. And we, we were talking just before we came in, but I've got to say, drawing sharks, surely that's good fun, drawing it sharks. Is, it is fun, yeah. I, I, it looks like and fun. And basically all the good images on Google Images of sharks are in this now. Cause <laughs> that that, that <laughs> has been a major boon when you, because presumably you do have to do an awful lot of yeah. reference. I mean, yeah. you, for the family stuff, you had Evie's pictures yeah. and family snaps, but... I also had yeah. my shark library. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I even gave me some shark books. But like, I was always, I always needed a specific yeah. kind of shark doing a specific thing, and I usually found it. If not, then I'd found something else that I could work around. It's interesting as well. Like Joe does a lot of drawings of pigeons as well. So you're like the shark and pigeon guy, <laughs> but the like egg pigeons. <laughs> Yeah, um, egg pigeon is done in the same sort of style as the sharks in egg a way. Pigeon. You said egg pigeon, no one's going to know. Yeah, sorry. There's a pigeon who looks like a real pigeon, but he's egg-shaped yeah. um, on Joe's website. There so are some look. strange things on Joe's website. I was looking <laughs> at it the other day there. This is nothing to do with the book, but I do have to ask you just because I was looking at them. In your illustration section, you've got a whole set of kind of 40s Vargas-style pin-up cheesecake girls but they all have birds' heads. What yeah. on earth is that about? They're <laughs> all standing in a very 1940s bikini shots, the sort of thing you'd see in the side of a World War II bomber, but they all have heads of chickens or roosters or yeah. pigeons. It sort of started, like, occasionally, I'd need, if I need to just draw something, I'll just think of some words, and the word sexy owl uh, <laughs> came into my head. Uh, so I drew that one, and then and just thought, oh, I'll do a series of these. <laughs> that worked quite well. <laughs> I had to ask, I'm sorry, once you see these pictures, you think, what is going on? I'm going to have to ask. I'm going to have to find out. Who else? There were some other folk there that were, had their hands up. Oh, towards the back there, please. Thank you. Yeah, I'm afraid you kind of answered it, but is that because you're colourblind, they're all black and white? Uh, yeah, I do a lot of black and white stuff, yeah. Um, I, if, I, if I have to have, add colour, then it's done digitally, so I've got control over it, but yeah. I mean, I'm not terribly colourblind. I'm just enough that I don't have, I don't trust my own eyes. So I don't have confidence to say that's green or that's brown. So, yeah, I just kind of take it out of my hands. <laughs> that's that's got to be a bit of a gift, though. You were saying you, I, I was wondering how you did because there is some spot colour used here and there yeah. through the book, mostly black and white. And I was wondering, it's 
God, how are you doing that? And then you're, but you can use it digitally, I mean, that's got to be a boon if you've, yeah, you've got that massive, problem. Yeah, yeah, just just to be able to just wash over it with what I know is the right colour. You can see on, on like the eyedropper thing on Photoshop yeah, where, where it is in this scale of things, it's like, that's good to know <laughs> <laughs> that I'm not getting it wrong. But then I did, like, I, I saved a lot of the files in the wrong format and then the colour changed. So the yellows Oops. went green and the blues went grey, and I didn't know until someone told me. <laughs> That's the problem. Well, yeah. it's not stopped you from doing it, and there is precedent. I mean, there's um, what one of the major Batman artists is famously colorblind. He does fully painted artwork. I don't know how he does it, but he he manages it somehow too. Yeah. So it can be done. It can be done. <laughs> Who is next for a question? Oh, we've got somebody down at the front here, please. Thank you. Hi. Thank you very much. Uh, it's a question for Evie. Um, I'm interested in this issue about place, uh, and particularly the rather menacing. Australia that you present, mm -hmm. right? Uh, which uh, and, and it's in in all of your books. Well, I haven't read this one, but uh, in the earlier books, and I just wonder whether uh, you will always use Australia as a metaphor, or whether um, you'll be writing about Peckham in this way, <laughs> you know, as a menacing place, a, yeah. a place of menace. Is it the menace or that sort of feeling of the place which you're interested in? It doesn't matter where it is. Yeah, I think. Um, I mean, Australia is my sort of comfort place to write from. Um, because it's to do with childhood memories and, you know, the mo most vivid stuff. So when I'm stuck, I kind of, I tend to just, the voice that comes out tends to be an Australian one. Um, and it's also to do with my mother. My mother's the Australian one in, in my family. Um, and she came over when she was 21 and met my father, who was incredibly British and did not, like, the, the book is all about how my father basically didn't get on in Australia um, to... A hilarious result and um and so for me that's I've always subsided with my mother in that and felt her homesickness um but I think the scary thing is just I enjoy I've always enjoyed horror movies and and horror writing um and ghost stories and stuff but the the thing that fascinates me most about scary things are like sort of family told ghost stories so the kind of uncanny stuff you get in your family so like um my friend's mum tells this story about when she was about nine years old playing hide and seek and she um she was in her parents house and she went to hide in a chest at the bottom of her parents bed and she opened it and there was an old man curled up inside and he went shh she closed the <laughs> lid and hid somewhere else. And that's all there is. Like, there's no, like, and he was there to protect her or he was there because somebody killed them. It's just like, that's it. And, um, <laughs> and I think that's wonderful. That is, that's proper terrifying. You know, you get, um, there's a lot of disappointment, I think, often with horror in mm. that stuff has to be explained. You have to, you know, there's nothing more frightening than Tim Curry dressed as a clown. <laughs> Um, you don't need him to turn into a big spider. Um, this makes sense if you've seen it. Um, <laughs> but it, it sort of, it's always frustrated me, sort of growing up, that I want things to be as frightening as they are in real life. Um, I, I think horror sometimes takes away from that. Um, and so I think maybe in the next project that me and Joe do together, we'll explore that a bit more. And perhaps it won't take place in Australia, but. I also find that I need a bit of distance on a place. So if I'm living in Peckham, um, I find it hard to write about Peckham, basically. Uh, there was someone else with a hand up a minute ago, was it? 
Nope. Suddenly everybody's gone all quiet. <laughs> you talked about doing the next horror one, and you were talking earlier on about how there was an almost kind of fairy tale aspect of you know the scary monster, but you had used a real monster instead of something living in the deep dark woods. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of thinking about when you're talking about doing horror, but you want to do the kind of horror that you know, proper chill or something that gets under your skin rather than just the I'll have a monster jump out with big teeth because yeah. that's scary for five seconds, but that's it. Mm. Whereas if you do something like a good ghost tale, like the one you were just, you, your friend's one there, that sticks in your head and mm. it's quite creepy and it lives in there. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's the equivalent of fairy tales when we grow up into adults. We still, because we do seem to be obsessed with scary things, mm. people in general, we like watching horror stories, we like going on roller coasters. So I, I don't know if this is just linked to the fairy tale thing or not, but we do seem to have an obsession for horror, even though it terrifies us, we yeah. want to see it and we want to be scared. I think you feel special, don't you, if you, if you think you've seen a ghost. Yeah. You're like, it has cho it's chosen to show itself to me. Um, so I think, you know, you watch all of those weird American shows where it's like true hauntings and there's mm. somebody sat there going, oh, something pushed me down the stairs and her husband sat there going, something pushed her down the stairs, it wasn't <laughs> me. And, um, <laughs> and I think the interest is that you know, novel writing is about trying to understand human beings. Yeah. And I think that when, you know, I don't personally believe in ghosts, but I do believe that people see them. Um, and, and I think that's to do with us not understanding the brain and the things that people want yeah. in their lives and the things that, the traumas that have happened to them. And, um, and so that's what really excites me about them is that what does it say about you yeah. that you know there's this whole thing that you know it's all in your head but you have to take your head with you yeah. so that's quite frightening well I suppose it's one of the things that's particularly for you know creators it's not just so much you're looking oh I need to do a scary story it's why do people feel this way why do people get this urge to see mm. ghosts you know I mean even people that say I don't really believe in them they're fascinated by the idea of the mm. ghost story totally. and we're still watching it and I don't know, it's, it's maybe what it says, which has got to be pretty good for a writer. That's like, yeah. I, can, I can hack away at this little mine. Yeah. There's something in there <laughs> I can hack away at and bring out as a story. Yeah. And it's maybe, as you say, it's, it's saying something about ourselves. It's, you know, yeah. Do you have a, a favourite horror? Oh, favourite horror moment? I think my favourite horror one, is, it's not even what you would normally consider straight horror. It's one of these ones where it was actually crime fiction, but it has moments of absolute horror in it and it's um, Frank Miller's Sin City series. Mm -hmm. And he has a bit where the hero wakes up in the bad guy's den. He finds one of his female friends there and she seems traumatized but otherwise all right. And then it's only after a few scenes that you realize that her hand's missing. Mm -hmm. And then it cuts to the outside as she explains that the man who's captured them isn't just a killer, he's a cannibal and he's removed her hand and cooked it in front of her and the, just the thought of this, it's, it's bad enough that he's thinking and killing her, but he's showing her actually, he's actually said, here's a bit of you, I've taken it off and I'm going to do it in front of you. And that was just, yeah, I've read good. Stephen King and James Herbert and none of them creeped me out as much as this moment. <laughs> <laughs> it's just horrific. I think it's yeah. the torture element of it yeah, as well. Yeah. It's, just, it's just terrifying. Yeah. But, uh, have, you, have you got a favourite horror? Oh, you put me on the spot. I don't know. I, d I, don't know. I, I don't know. I have to think about it. <laughs> um, Get back to me. I haven't seen any good horror for a while, actually. I watched the, Babadook, the trailer. The Babadook was the last yeah, good that's thing good. I've seen. That's good. That's really that's horrible. Yeah. Um, I watched the trailer for The Witch the other day. Everyone's talking that's about this. Nasty. 
anyway. That's just summing up what we were saying about horror. <laughs> you're going, oh, it's horrible, it's nasty, yeah. and yet the, your tone is, <laughs> I wait. really want to see this. <laughs> Again, we're it's like the sharks. You're terrified, but you're absolutely fascinated mm. at the same time. It's, it's, it's quite interesting. Right, we're, oh, we've got someone else. We can fit in another question before we wrap up. Um, can I ask about how your family responded to it? There's quite a lot of detail when you're in Peckham, especially with your brother. Yeah. Um, it's funny, the, the stuff with my brother, like a lot of people have said to me, you know, is he okay? Um, and he's fine. He's, um, <laughs> he's sort of, my English family have kind of like laughed it off a bit. Um, you know, he is, there was, it was a really horrible part of his life, but it, he's turning 40 um, you know, in a couple of days, and and he's got three kids, and it, he's so fine now that it sort of doesn't really feel all that real. And it's it's been interesting talking to him about um, so that in the in the book, there's a part where my brother Tom comes into my bedroom and and says, "I've got the thingies," which is a thing that we used to have, um, which turned out to be migraine, which we didn't realise um, because my mother thought it was something that was very special um, and that her and me and my brother had and she's like it's a special like it's like voices talking to you because we are magical people <laughs> um, and actually it was a fucking migraine <laughs> 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 and, um, and so my poor brother would like um, ring up from school and not be able to speak He'd, he would have walked out of school found a payphone, and my mum would just get these silent phone calls and she'd have to drive around and find him because you it's migraine with aura, which isn't the headache, but it's the sensory stuff. So everything both speeds up and slows down. You find it very difficult to speak um, and make any sense. Um, and you bodily are kind of slow and weird. Um, and so it was interesting reliving that with him because I was diagnosed with it when I was... Um, 24 I think after he'd stopped getting it so we, we kind of went back and talked about that and his way of getting over it was just to ask for stories so he'd come into my bedroom and say just tell me stuff just talk to me I've got the thingies and um and so I'd rattle off horrible stories <laughs> about <laughs> sharks um he's fine now he doesn't get those and um my Australian family are thrilled um they, they had their book day parade at school the other day and my cousin's kid went as a shark with the book so he went as a child <laughs> eaten by a shark so yeah they're really they're really really thrilled about it and um, I mean most of my my two other novels have been you know recognisable to them as, as their places so they're kind of used to me just mining them for material um, but yeah I think they like it <laughs> makes them laugh <laughs> right nearly out of time but we can get another question and I'm sure yep there's somebody over to that side please thank you thanks quick question would you still prefer Australia over London no <laughs> <laughs> I lived in Australia um, when I was in my early 20s and you know I love the countryside and I love all that stuff but I think growing up in London in London in particular and then going to my family who are it's like kind of like the 1950s there um, and the racism is, is pretty impressive, the sexism, the homophobia, it's, it's just a bit, um, once you've grown up in a cosmopolitan city, ev even Sydney I find a little bit strange, um, 
just because I've been lucky enough to to grow up somewhere that feels kind of comfortable with itself. Um, and I think Australia has, has such a bloody, I mean, England has a hugely bloody past as well, um, but such a recent bloody past in Australia that until very recently, people seem to be ignoring um, quite well. So I just, I've, I love it there for the countryside, but I, I'm not a fan of Tony Abbott, put it that way. <laughs> I, I don't think there's a, a huge fan base for him anymore, no, from what I've been so. reading. <laughs> right, we've got only a couple of minutes. Is there any last questions MD wants to get in before we, we wrap up? Oh, yes, oh, just next to you. A uh, question for Joe. Uh, you're also a model maker, it's quite different from this. Could tell us a little bit about the models that you make. And also, Evie, do you have any particular favourite shark YouTube videos? <laughs> um, well, uh, yeah, I, I sort of do model making, prop making, sculpting kind of thing on a freelance basis. But I used to make, I spent 10 years as a jewellery model maker, uh, making stuff for like Vivian Westwood and Ted Baker and people like that. And then got laid off and went freelance and just now, yeah, so last thing, last thing I made was a three metre tall sculpture for UCL of like deep sea hydrothermal vents and um, it just depends on the job really <laughs> and I've, yeah so yeah I combined it that with this so I've made some little figurines of Evie that are uh, doing the rounds um, for sale on his website yeah, if you, if you have yeah website, you know. they're, they're amazing they're just, <laughs> they're just based on the comic version of Evie they're, they're um, really really yeah cool. model making is my main living just um, well make a very so good far. digestive biscuit model I did do a business card that was a biscuit. It was a t it was a rich tea actually. Sorry, um, <laughs> with my name on it, and yeah, I got quite a bit of work out of that. I did food models for a, for a, I don't know a couple of years doing fake food for adverts. Turns out chocolate in adverts is all plastic, and um, <laughs> this big, so that was quite fun. <laughs> um, favorite YouTube clip of sharks? I mean, the Nick Fanning thing is pretty good. Have you seen that? Um, a surfer punching a shark and the shark swims away um, and I, I think just goes to show that the shark was just there going I wonder what that is and when he was like it's like when you if you didn't know what a wasp was and you picked it up and it stung you go I won't do that again yeah. um, but I think the thing that I really enjoy is um, photographs when when people um, I think my most searched for thing is um, surprise shark <laughs> on Google because when it, very occasionally someone will take a photograph of some people like mucking about in the water and having a great old time and then the pictures will come back and it's like there's a shark right there <laughs> um, and I really enjoy that <laughs> <laughs> right well that's us just about out of time I should mention you're on again tomorrow mm. afternoon at the international literature and European understanding so if you want to catch Evie again, she's on again tomorrow afternoon in one of the events. It's all in the programme. You'll be able to find it there. But for now, that's us wrapping up. And there'll be a signing in the bookshop tent. So you can come along, get your book signed there, and ask a few more questions as well if you want. But meantime, if you'd say thank you very much to Joan Evie for coming along today. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Ed Book Fest.